You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. And so it's a real, it's a real joy to share with you God, I got from God's Word this morning. Uh, although I'm not an Asbury University alumnus, I'm no stranger to Hughes Auditorium. I have three daughters who are Asbury alumni. Uh, they all came here with my blessing, my encouragement. Our eldest daughter loved Asbury and her two sisters followed. And at the risk of winning the favor of some of you and um, alienating some others of you, I will tell you that all three of them were RAs in Glide Crawford. Yeah, I knew I'd win some favor with that, but the rest of you still put up with me, you know, listen, don't, don't stop listening because of that. Um, as a matter of fact, we had a friend in, in the town where I live, her name was Miss Irene Breland, who with her, with her sister slept in Glide Crawford the first night it was ever used. They didn't have doorknobs on the handles of the doors. Somebody had to let them out in the morning. They couldn't get the door open. But you can imagine, if she were still alive, she would be well over 100 years old. She's a lot older than I am, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> the youngest of my three daughters, her husband, who was also an Asbury alumnus, and their three children are, although they didn't know it, um, responsible for the title of this message. Episode 5, The End Game. You see, they that's the title of the message. They, they convinced me to go with them to watch the Avengers Endgame. Now the problem is, I hadn't seen any of the 20-some movies that preceded it. <laughs> and I hadn't read the Marvel comics. But I was able to understand and really to enjoy the movie because they took time to explain to me what happened. Now, I want you to get the picture of my 10-year-old grandson patiently explaining to his gramps about the Marvel Universe and, and cluing me in on that so I would be able to understand and enjoy this, this movie with them, The Avengers, The Endgame. Well, think of the passage we have read today from Hebrews 12, 1 to 4 as the in-game episode, the ultimate in-game. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is not, not the entertaining in-game of a fictitious universe. This is life's true in-game. We are participants. We are called to persevere in faithful obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ to the end of our lives with our gaze fixed on no one but Him. However, we'll understand this episode so much better if we review the episodes that have come before it. So I've, I've divided the earlier chapters of Hebrews into four episodes. It's a summary, don't worry, don't get, don't get worried here. Into four episodes. Episode one, the pioneer of our salvation, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, 18. Episode two, that rebellious house, Hebrews 3, 1 through 4, 13. Episode three, a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. I know that would be too long for a movie title, but anyway. Hebrews 4, 14 through 10, 31. And episode four, a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 10.32 through 
Episodes one and three reveal who this Jesus is, in whose presence every human-made superhero fades into oblivion. In episodes two and four, we meet ourselves and the race that is marked out before us. These episodes do not take place in a universe created by the human imagination for our entertainment, but in the real universe in which we live, seen through the eyes of the God who made it. Episode one, the pioneer of our salvation. This first episode is given to us and it, it awakens us from our indifference by impressing upon us the unsurpassable greatness the glory and the, the glory and the full sufficiency and power of Jesus, our hero, the, his full sufficiency to meet our need. He is, according to this episode, the eternal son of God, who identified with the sinful mortal people of God by humbling himself and taking on their, that is our humanity. He lived an obedient human life. He, the eternal son of God that resulted in his suffering, intentional suffering and death for us and for our salvation, followed by his exaltation to the seat of all authority at God's right hand, where God invited him, to, the Father, to take his seat. And as a result, he delivers and he is able to deliver the people of God from the sin and death that characterize the human condition and life in this world. And he opens the way as their pioneer into the eternal glory that is the ultimate inheritance of the people of God. At the occasion of his triumph, God the Father publicly invited him to take his place at the seat of all authority on the throne of the universe at the Father's right hand and announced to all the universe that he was indeed the eternal Son of God through providing the salvation, through providing the salvation, the eternal Son became the ultimate revelation of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at him. Fulfilling the conversation that God had been having throughout the Old Testament with his people for countless generations, and in particular, uh, he fulfilled God's great self-revelation on Mount Sinai which God used to establish fellowship with the people of Israel whom he delivered from Egypt, from slavery and bondage in Egypt, and to mold them into a, the holy people of God living in fellowship with him. Awake from your indifference. Awake, we are to wake from our in, indifference and hear God's word in the eternal, incarnate, still human son seated at the Father's right hand. Has the story of this hero gotten your attention? I hope so. Episode two, that rebellious house. Hebrews, two, Hebrews 3, 1 through 413. We have a flashback here to the people of God of old, our spiritual ancestors, who stood, those who stood before, whom God delivered from slavery in Egypt, and who stood before Sinai and heard God speak with thunder from the mountain. This episode takes us back into the past in order to change our future. God has brought the people whom he delivered from slavery and addressed, and he delivered from slavery and spoke to addressed at Sinai to the very border of the land that he had promised to give them. 
over and over again. They have failed to trust God since they left Egypt through the wilderness. They have failed to trust God. But over and over again, they have experienced the mighty power of God to deliver them and to meet their needs. Now, on the verge of receiving the promised blessing of an abundant land where they would live in fellowship with God, they climax their habit of rebellion by refusing to trust and obey. They are intimidated by the people in the land. So they doubt God's promise that he will give them the land and refuse to trust his power to make good on his word. Instead, they rebel. Then they hear God's faithful fatal words, fateful words, I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter into my rest. Their refusal to trust and obey has cost them the blessing for which they were delivered from Egypt. It is not, however, merely earthly real estate that is at stake. Persistence in the refusal to trust and obey leads to the tragic loss of that which the promised land only prefigured in Scripture, God's eternal rest prepared for his own since creation. Episode 3, a high priest who is seated at God's right hand, the throne of, at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews 4.14 through 10.31. This episode makes it clear, however, that there is absolutely no need for us to suffer that eternal loss and to miss God's blessing. There's no need at all. The glory and sufficiency of the pioneer of our salvation, whom we met in episode one, shines all the brighter when we realize that he has fulfilled everything that was pictured in God's revelation on Sinai. He is the all-sufficient sacrifice for sin. The eternal heavenly high priest through whom we have access to God and the guarantor of the new covenant of obedience that God has established through him. His obedient human life and death was the all-sufficient sacrifice of the eternal Son of God that releases us from sin to live in newness of life. On the basis of this sacrifice, he has entered God's heavenly sanctuary and taken his seat at God's right hand as our all-sufficient high priest. Through him, we have previously, previously unimagined access into God's presence to receive the mercy of forgiveness and the grace so necessary for perseverance in godly living and in obedience. By taking the old covenant's curse upon, of sin upon himself, he has also become the guarantor of a new covenant, a covenant to you as an arrangement that God makes for us to relate to him and, and to live in fellowship with him, a covenant that is characterized by forgiveness, heart obedience, hearts transformed to obey, and intimate fellowship with God. His priesthood and covenant mediatorship are guaranteed because he is, first of all, the eternal Son of God, and because they have been established by God's own irrevocable oath. No wonder this episode urges us to draw near to God through him. There is no reason, then, why we should not uh, persevere in faithful obedience, in anticipation of our promised final entrance into God's unshakable kingdom. Depending on the fully sufficient forgiveness and grace for victorious living provided by our great high priest. Episode four, 
a great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 10, 32 through eleven forty is also a flashback. The faithful who have lived before Christ parade before us in one grand panorama. This panorama has two purposes. First, it helps us to understand what faith is and what it means to be faithful. Second, it motivates us through all that our high priest has now provided to take our place within the company of those who persevere in faithful obedience. To live by faith, then, is to live day by day as if God's promise of future eternal blessing is certain and His power in the present, by which we can obtain that blessing, is real. Did you get that? To live every day remembering that God's promise of that eternal future is certain and that He will give you, through Jesus Christ, the power right today to live in faithful obedience so that you can persevere until you enter into that glorious rest. For the faithful of old, Christ was part of the promised future blessing. But for us, He is the present power of God by which we triumph over every opposition. By this faith, Abel endured death, because I'm, this is through chapter 11 now. By this faith, Abel endured death, because as the example of Enoch demonstrates, the faithful have a destiny beyond death. By this faith, Abraham was able to live as an alien in this world because his hope was in the promised world to come. By faith, Moses suffered for his, uh, for his obedience, sustained by keeping his eye on the eternal reward and, by, and his vision on the unseen God. Both Abraham and Moses also experienced the mighty power of God, the one through the birth of Isaac, the other through the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. Rahab, the prostitute. I really wouldn't, to make this sermon coherent, I wouldn't have to mention her, but I can hardly talk about chapter 11 without mentioning Rahab, because she is the, she is the, the climactic example of faith. She joined the people of God because of her faith in God's promise to give them the land and because she believed that God had the power to fulfill the promise. If Rahab the prostitute can have faith and be faithful, you and I can too. That's the point that's made here by this, this, this uh, example in, in, in Hebrews 11. We are encouraged when we see many faithful fast pass before our eyes in the final scene of this episode in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. We're inspired because the many who have, have sustained, been sustained by the mighty power of God, it tells us those who have won victories and been delivered from death, and even the, those who have been raised from the dead. But we are sustained by these examples in order that we can be faithful with those who suffered alienation for, for, Christ, for, for, for Christ's sake, for God's sake. And we, we're, those are also described here. They, they suffered an alienation that resulted in hunger, nakedness, homelessness, and even death. They all knew that God is a God who raises the dead, that His faithful people will be raised to inherit the eternal kingdom that he has for him. Now, we come to today's episode. Episode 5, The End Game. The great cloud of the faithful episode, the, the faithful, the great cloud of, of chapter 4, of episode 4, of chapter 11 of episode 4. 
They are the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. They have now been joined by the many faithful people who, who have lived since Christ came. Many faithful Asbury alumni have, and, and alumni and alumni have joined them. First, they witness to us, these faithful, they witness to us of the faithfulness of God. You can depend, they say, you can depend on the promise and power of God. He won't fail you. They assure us that it is worth everything to successfully complete this race. Second, these witnesses are spectators. They're in the bleachers cheering us on. When you are out there alone in the unbelieving world, you are not alone. Oh, Jesus is with you, yes, but you're not alone. There's a great cloud of faithful witnesses who surround and cheer you on and encourage you to, to run the race. You know, the ath an athlete strips for the race. Lay aside anything that may hinder you. Undue concern with the good or even the ne necessary things of this life can be a hindrance to the race. Lay us, and especially then, certainly lay aside every sin. Sin is like a rope that entangles the feet. It is a snare in the road. It is as if one's pants fell down and entangled one while one was running legs while one was running the race. There's nothing in the, this life that competes with the goal that is set before us. Then let us run with perseverance the race of faithful obedience marked out for us, assured that God's promise of future glory is certain and that his power in Christ to sustain us in the present is real. Indeed, this race has been marked out for us by none other than the pioneer and perfecter of the faith, Jesus. He showed us what it meant to be faithful until the end. He and he alone is the one who empowers us for this race. As the pioneer, he opened the way so that we could follow. In, in, as the perfecter, he per persevered in this way in order, in obedience and faithfulness until the, until the end, thus providing the, the forgiveness and grace that, that enables us to run the race and to persevere. For the joy that he found in the prospect of your and my salvation, he endured the cross despising the shame. We moderns haven't the slightest inkling of the shame of the cross. We have such a diminished sense of shame anyway. But for the, for the, for the ancient world, the cross was the most hugely shameful thing that you could imagine. It was avert the eye, don't look at it. It was terrible to be exposed naked on the cross to die. It, it's, it's horrible. We can't think of anything worse than that, more shameful than that. He endured the cross and scorned that shame. It meant nothing to him for the joy that was before him of those who would run the, run the race after him, of your salvation and of mine. Every runner keeps his, his or her eyes on the goal. You don't look to the right or to the left, to anybody else running the race. The only way to run this race with persevering faithfulness is to keep our eyes on the one who has sat down at the right hand of God just across the finish line. Keep your full attention on him. Of course, you do that by reading his word, by prayer, by meditation, by obedience. Keep your full attention on him. From Jesus, our brother, 
the still incarnate Son of God, and from Him alone we receive the mercy and grace that we need to run this race. The things that would distract you might not, in, in your life, might not look at all like you imagine them now. There may come a time when the opportunity for wealth or fame or all of these kind of things, is so, the world is so overwhelming and appealing that it almost sweeps you off your feet to turn from following Jesus. You may have to take a stand that costs you. The world in which we live, I could almost say many of you will have to take a stand that costs you for Jesus. You'll have to take a stand that costs you. Maybe it costs you a friend. It may cost you the love of a family member. It may cost you a career. It may cost you your livelihood. Or it may cost you your life. The most difficult test may actually come when people in the church betray you. Remember how the church of Jesus, they treated him. We run this race together. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And don't let the unfaithful within the church cause you to, to be bitter toward the church of Jesus Christ or to separate from its worship and fellowship. I was sitting up there in the balcony, in the middle of the balcony, in this, in Hughes Auditorium, the occasion of the baccalaureate of the second of my three daughters. I've gotten the first and the third one, and I had to get her in too. I was sitting up there at her baccalaureate. We stood and sang the hymn that we're going to sing in closing today. May the mind of Christ my Savior. From that day until this, that hymn has been a favorite. I will never forget singing the next to the last verse. It goes like this, as you will see when we sing it. Verse 5. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. As I stood there that day, I prayed that verse for every member of that graduating class assembled in this Hughes Auditorium. And this morning, I prayed it for every one of you.